Man, I tell you what, what a great day. What a great time to be serving the Lord. Amen? We are living in a great time of history. And uh, I got to tell you, the times of the world are getting harder and harder, more confusing. Um, but the Lord has an answer for us if we will just be listening. For asking and listening, he has a faithful answer for us. So today we want to talk about that today. Today I, I titled the message, Where Are Our Priorities? Where are our priorities? Um, we're coming off a busy week here in Charlevoix. Venetian is always busy. And it's one of those weeks that um, Charlevoixians, which I am one, and you are probably one, we either look forward to this week with great anticipation or you dread it <laughs> with great uh, trepidation <laughs> because the town changes, doesn't it? It's not the sweet little Charlevoix uh, that we can zip through town fast and get to the other side of town. I, I heard Tom uh, telling uh, Jackie uh, worship practice this morning that he lives on the other side of town. Um, and uh, he had to come to Ace Hardware to get a, fi- uh, to get a fitting to, for a project he was working on Saturday. And quite honestly, it would have been faster for him to go to Petoskey than to get through town. It took him an hour to get from his house on Boyne City Road to Ace Hardware and back. That's Charlevoix. Venetian is fun. I can remember as a kid, um, when Venetian came, basically the summer is over. I mean, Venetian was it. It was the pinnacle. And at that time, we only had it Friday and Saturday nights. We didn't have all week long. But I was reminded as I was participating in some of the events over the the past week that, you know, um, truly God wants us to enjoy life. He really does. He, He is a good God, and he truly wants us to enjoy this life. He is not a God of of uh, boredom or a God of bunch of, uh, a bunch of lists and regulations, even though he has a number of rules and he has a book called his Bible, his word that we are to read and learn, live by clearly, but he wants us to enjoy life. So I want to begin this morning with my beginning premise is that I believe that God wants us to enjoy life and that as a Christian, we are better equipped to enjoy life more than anyone else if Big word, two letters, big word, if we have our priorities placed properly. Let me just say that way. I believe that God truly wants us to enjoy life, but he has some priorities in store for us. This all comes down to really understanding our priorities. Do we understand our priorities? Are they properly placed? And are we living by them? I will say that in our world of confusion, there is much information that is constantly bombarding us with varying messages. They all seem to have a certain element of truth in them. The hard part for us is sometimes understanding what's truth and what's untruth. The difficult part is trying to pick the truth out, separating the untruth from it, and keeping the truth and living that and spitting out the untruth and not getting bogged down by so many lies that the enemy would have for us. And I will just say that my job, I feel, as a pastor is to help us discern the truth from the lies. My job is to come and and help us walk through this life picking out the truth and understanding where the deception lies, understanding what the enemy is trying to do to 
distract us and to destroy us and to help us discern truth and live righteously according to that. And I hope you're okay with that. Is that what you want from your pastor? That I'm helping us, myself included, I'm learning how to find these truths as well, and that we would come together and we would journey life together trying to find the truths of God's word and then learning what's, de- learning what's deceptive and discerning between the right and the wrong and hopefully living the right. That's my job. I'm, I'm not a gifted scholar. Um, I kind of feel like Paul. Paul, when he went into Rome, he didn't go in to debate all of the high levels there because Paul said, I come with not big words. <laughs> he just comes with the truth of the gospel message. And I feel that way many times myself. I'm not qualified to be um, a doctor uh, of theology. And I sometimes feel like that would disqualify me from being behind this pulpit because I don't have all the knowledge that a lot of biblical scholars have. My heart and my prayer is that I can discern God's truth and that from that then we can move forward. Does that make sense? Are you okay with me on this one? You're not going to throw me out, I hope, because I admitted something. So today I want to talk about how we can understand scriptures when it comes to living in the crazy world that we live in, that we're learning how to enjoy life, and we're also knowing the things that we are to avoid, and learning how to pick out truth and throw away the false stuff. There's a quote from a well-known popular TV preacher that he says this, God has a big dream for your life. God is positive. There is nothing negative about him. God wants to increase you financially by giving you promotions, fresh ideas, and creativity. It's all about prosperity, all about living the good life. That's basically the message that this particular evangelist brings. And I I wish that was the case. I mean, I like that. I mean, I wish that we could live it that way. That's the American version of Christianity that says God is just concerned about me living the good life, uh, fulfilling the American dream, getting all I can get. Uh, That's what God wants for me. But I also read a quote from Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 36. Jesus says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? We need to pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to help us learn what you would have for us. How do we discern this world? How do we live in it and honor you at the same time? I pray, Father, that you would just give us that wisdom. Give us that knowledge. Give us that heart of understanding. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we reconcile these two seemingly opposite viewpoints. One viewpoint says, God has a big dream for my life and it's all positive. It's all good. Nothing negative. 
He wants to increase me financially. He wants to do all these good things for me. He wants to increase my wealth and my health and my entire well-being. And and he wants to give me more power and influence on the job. He wants to promote me above other people by giving me new ideas and new creativity. It all sounds great, doesn't it? It all sounds really good. I like it. As a child of God, why wouldn't God want me to have all this? I want the best for my kids. I want them to have all those benefits, so why wouldn't God want that for me? But if that's the case, then why does Jesus say something that seems so different, so confusing, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross? They must follow him in a life of sacrifice and of heavenly priorities. Because if I want to save my life, according to this scripture, I'm going to lose it. If I want to work hard to save my life in this world, according to this scripture, I'm going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for Christ and the sake of the gospel, what's the gospel, the good news? I'll save it. It's totally contrary to what the world says, especially the American version of the world. And I think we need to be really careful in how we think about this and how we pray that God would give us the understanding and wisdom because it really comes down to our priority in life. Where are we placing it? Are we placing our priorities in the moment on this earth? Are we prioritizing our life based on our eternity? Because truly we are living in eternity beginning right now. We're all in eternity, aren't we? I mean, that, that first breath, that first heartbeat that God placed in your mother's womb so many years ago, you were an eternal being. The first heartbeat, you're eternal. Never going to pass away. Never going to, well, we'll die, but our spirit will never leave us. I mean, we'll never lose our consciousness. We'll lose this body. We'll get a new one if we're having the right priorities in place or we'll burn in hell. (laughs) One of those two choices. I got to say it the way it is. That's just what it is. So where are we placing our priorities? As an American, it can be very tempting for us to believe that the first viewpoint is the way it should be, that we live in a country that promotes wealth and power and living the good life. That is the American dream, right? I mean, that's what you see on TV. That's what you read in all the the self-help books. That's what we learn in college. That's what we learn everywhere. We are so indoctrinated with the good life that we are now measuring success. And even in some Christian circles, we are measuring God's blessing by how much one has in life. If I have lots of money, God's blessing me. If I have a big house, God's blessing me. If I have a big boat, God's blessing me. Or two homes, God's blessing. And I'm not saying those are bad. Believe me, I'm not. But does that signify God's blessing because I have a big boat? Because I have a newer car than you? Does that mean that God's blessing me more than he's blessing you? Is that, is that the way God measures success? God's blessings are often associated in our worldview as financial success and worldly gain. We're quick to make that assumption, aren't we? But what about if you talk to a North Korean Christian or a Chinese Christian that is living in a country that doesn't allow freedom of speech and freedom of religion. 
and they become a Christian and their life isn't promised the good life. A North Korean Christian or a Chinese Christian, and Aubrey's been to China when she went to YWAM. She understands what that's like a little bit. The, 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 the underground church, where when they go to worship and if they are caught or if they are found out by the, their government, they are thrown in prison, tortured, and maybe even killed. How do they look at the good life? How do they look at the American Christianity view, viewpoint, the Christian worldview that we have, and how do we compare it with their Christian worldview? I think they're totally different. So we need to be careful how we consider the words of Jesus here and really think about what he's saying before we jump to conclusions about God's blessing. So I think we need to take a little bit more time today to understand the source of where the information comes from. And it helps us to give us the right priorities because that's the key word today. It's a hard word for me to say, priority. And it's a harder one for me to live, to have the right priorities. Let's, let's go back to our text. Our text says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Those are big words. Think about, think about how many times we have a salvation. Let's say we're sharing the gospel with somebody. How many times do we or have you heard, or maybe you've said it yourself, give your life to Jesus and he'll make it better. Okay, sometimes people are in the shambles of life. Maybe they are at the last straw. And finally, they're willing, they're able to receive Christ. And, and I know it's well-meaning that we would say that, that we would say, give your life to Jesus and he's going to make your life better. And, and can I say that that's true in the long run? But this is where we need to understand truth and discerning truth from so-called false truth or lies. Because if I came up to you and said, Chad, you're gonna, you accept Jesus today and I promise you he's going to make your life good. He's going to give you all the things you need. He's going to give you peace and happiness and joy. And, you know, and, you, and you're willing to buy into that, and you take that, and I say, have a great day, Chad. See you later. Tomorrow you go in the job, and you tell people, hey, I gave my life, my life to Jesus. And the first thing they do is start ridiculing you and say, what? You're weird, man. you one of those Christian Jesus freaks. Get out of here. I don't like you anymore. Or you have a car breakdown, or you have all kinds of problems, or you get a health problem. And all of a sudden now you're looking at me as the pastor that say, hey, said the day before, wait, wait, wait. He told me that if I accept Jesus, my life's going to be good. Oh, Mike lied to me. Uh, he's a liar. I'm not going back to that church because my life's not any better. Let me just tell you. Let me just cut to the chase. You give your life to Jesus, you're in, the, you're in for the battle of your life. All right? Because now you are battling every day for right versus wrong. When you were living with the devil, yeah, he may not have made your life easy, but he had no reason to give you more problems because he already had you going where he had you going, and that was to hell. So why would he want to waste his time with you, right? He might even give you a blessing. He might even allow you to have a big car. He might even allow you to have a great boat or a nice house because as long, and he might, you know what? The devil even likes it when you go to church. He even likes it when you give in the offering. He likes it if your heart isn't truly in it. If our priorities aren't in the right place, he has no problem with all the good things that we do because he knows where you're going at the end of the day. But you give your life to Christ 
and all of a sudden get full in here in this salvation thing, and all of a sudden now the devil's going to say, hold on, buddy. I'm not into that one. I'm coming against you. And now you've just unleashed his anger. And I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm not saying this because Jesus says, greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. He has come to overcome the world. But we need to know what we're up against in the world, right? So as we look at life like this, as we look at our priorities, we need to understand that God is for us, but he's going to allow us to go through some hard things because that's just the design of it all. Not his plan, but it's just the way it is. I wish it wasn't. I wish I could say it differently. My Bible commentary says this about this passage that we just read. This is what we have to do to deny ourselves. okay? The word is, how do we deny ourselves? What does it mean? Okay, this is what it means. To put aside our own selfish desires in order to follow Christ and to serve his purposes. Whatever the cost. The cross of Christ is a symbol of suffering, death, shame, ridicule, rejection, and self-denial. That's what the cross really is. And how many times... I don't mean this in a negative way. I don't mean this in a bad way. But how many times we'll put a cross on a necklace and wear it around our, 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 our neck like a badge of honor? And I'll tell you what, if your priority's in the right place, amen. Good for you. What a, what a witness and what an example. But I see many people that think this as something different, and I just don't think that honors Christ. But the cross, the cross is a symbol of suffering, death, shame, ridicule, rejection. Peter said it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, 21, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Peter, why do you say that? Jesus was not supposed to, I don't, that's not the kind of example I want. I don't want an example of a cross bearer. I want an example of a joy giver. <laughs> I want an example of the good life. But that's not what Peter heard. That's not what he lived, nor any of the other disciples. Christ suffered for me, leaving me an example that I should follow in his steps. Christ's priority, we are to follow him, and that is one of suffering in this life so that we can share in an eternal life of relationship with him. Boy, I'll take that one, though. I want relationship with him, don't you? I want to share in eternity, don't you? So the way we get that is to share in his suffering today. My commentary goes on to say further. It says, A follower of Christ who takes up his cross is making a deliberate choice to deny his own self-interests and way of life and to boldly identify with Christ. Again, this is a hard teaching for an American Christian. I get that. Because the American dream is so contrary to this message. I totally understand that. The American dream is work hard and gain as much as you can for yourself and live the good life of self-interest and indulgence. I get it. The more you have, the more God is blessed. But again, ask the North Korean Christian and, and, and the, the Chinese Christian. Their choice to follow Christ costs them their good life as they boldly identify to the Christ. Now listen, let me just state, let me, let me back up here and say something. I am not saying that we have to give up everything we have. 
I'm not saying that we have to give up everything that we have and to invite persecution in our lives in order to be a Christ follower. I'm not saying that. I'm also not saying that we need to live a life of poverty and, poor, and being poor because the poor are not any more righteous than the wealthy because they have less. It's not about how much I have that makes me religious or how little I have to make me uh, really, really spiritual. It's nothing to do with that. We have to make sure that we understand that because this is the key. If we don't keep a proper balance here, we get, we get ourselves really in a weird position because now all of a sudden we start looking at like we have to invite persecution. We have to invite pain. We have to invite it. No, you don't have to invite it. And, and I will say you should live your life to your best to avoid it. I'm saying, though, that we have to just learn that as we have priorities, Christ-like, we're going to have some issues that are going to come into our life. And when we have those, don't run away from those either. We read last week that Jesus, when he was talking about being the wheat, and I'll get there in a minute too, but I'm going to jump ahead just for a minute, that when Jesus recognized that he was the wheat kernel that was going to have to die and be buried if he was going to be an increase of many souls, he said all that. He was predicting his death, and he, was, and he went through all that with his disciples. And at the end, it said that Jesus was greatly troubled in his heart. Jesus was troubled in his heart. And then he asked, Father, what should I pray? Should I pray that you take this away from me? You see, Jesus had an opportunity to avoid all that. He didn't have to go through what he went through for us. He could have gone back to heaven at any time because he had no sin in his life. He didn't die for his sin. He died for my sin. He died for your sin. So at any time in the process, Jesus was greatly troubled in his heart because he knew what he was going to have to go through. He knew that he was going to have to die a horrible death. And at any given time, he could have said, Father, it's not worth it. These people are not worth it. I'm coming home. And God would have said, come on. Because you're sinless, Jesus. You have every right to be in heaven. You don't have to stay down there. He could have come home at any time and he could have aborted the mission, right? Am I speaking wrong here? He could have, come, he could have aborted the mission if he wanted to, but it was his choice. It was his deliberate choice. Like we have to make a deliberate choice to take up the cross because he had a mission to fulfill. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. John 8. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He says it again. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Can you see the correlation here? between we've been speaking of over the past number of weeks reaping and sowing the four harvest laws you have to invest law of investment law of identity law of uh, increase law of interval and so part of the part of the germination of the seed is that the seed that's planted must be wholly committed to the process think about this for a minute the seed must be wholly committed to the process a partially planted seed will not produce a harvest. A, pro, a, a, partially plant, a seed that is only partially planted won't produce a harvest. Neither will a partially committed Christian inherit eternal life. 
This is basically saying that a person that is prioritizing life here on earth over the eternal things will not harvest an eternal reward because he has not planted eternal seeds. Think through that with me a little bit. A partially planted seed will not produce a harvest. You have to completely plant the seed. A committed person, a Christian person that's not fully committed to Christianity, even though the American Christianity view says, you're fine, you're good, but the Bible doesn't say that. There's nowhere in the Bible that I can see anything where God is happy with a partially committed Christian. Fully in or not. Verse 25 says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for an eternal life. I did look up the word, the Greek word for loves here. The Greek word for loves is philio, and it means to have an affection and regard of a very high order. Filial love in this context is to have an affection or regard of a very high order. Basically, it's priority. Basically, it's referring to a priority of affection. Whoever has a filial love for whatever it is that they're loving that way are giving that the highest priority in their life. So contrasting the word love and hate is really a way of making the distinction of where one's priority is. Who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. What I love, I have a high priority for. So what Jesus is saying here is that he's not really saying you have to hate like we hate evil, like we hate Satan. We can hate him. We need to hate sin, right? We need to hate sin. Sin is what cost Christ his life. So we hate sin. But we don't hate our life in the context of hating sin. But it's in, it's in a comparison, it's, a, it's in a relative comparison that I, will, I have to love my life or have the high regard for the priorities of my life for Christ. And that will save my life. My Bible commentary goes on and says, hating one's own life points to an attitude that values heavenly, eternal interests far above anything of this earth. True and passionate followers of Christ place little importance on the pleasures, ideas, successes, values, and goals that are common in this world. So does this mean that we totally reject everything that's pleasant in this world? Is that what it means? Is that what this is saying? I don't think so. But it is a very stern warning of where we place our priority. We need to be careful that we guard our hearts and our minds when it comes to where we focus our energies and our desires. I really think that this is a way for God to teach us how to measure the way God does. How do we measure the things that God measures? He measures success from an eternal perspective and not from a temporal, worldly perspective. God's measurement system is different than ours. And I think when we can understand our priorities and how they must be placed in a Christ-like fashion, that helps us to understand how God measures things. He measures things differently than what I do, the way you do, the way the world does. Are we more concerned with what we can get in this world at the expense of serving God and keeping our goal of serving ourselves? Or are we more concerned with what our eternal goal is? 
The true and passionate follower of Christ keeps their focus on the eternal life they receive from Christ. Nothing in this world is so important that they are not willing to give it up for the sake of following Jesus and accomplishing his purposes. Wow. And this is hard, guys. The true and passionate follower of Christ keeps their focus on the eternal life. Nothing in this world is so important that they are not willing to give it up for the sake of following Jesus. Not a very popular word today. You want down, if you go downtown Charlevoix and start preaching this downtown on the street corner, you're not going to get a very good crowd, I'll tell you right now. This is not very popular, but this is what the Bible says. And that's my message. <laughs> that's, what I'm just, that's what I'm delivering is the message. I'm not trying to change the message. What I really see here, what I really see here is the true heart of a person and what they're really about. Are they more concerned with the pleasures of this world? Or are they able to enjoy the pleasures of life without the pleasures becoming their priorities or the God, little g, God, or the idols of their life? I, I think we can enjoy pleasures. And, and I'm not, we need to enjoy this. We need to have a rest. We need to enjoy God's greatness and his goodness and his creation. But we have to be very careful that we're not allowing them to become our priority. Then we need to ask ourselves the question, would I be willing to give them up? If God asked me to, if God asked me to give up the thing that I enjoy doing the most down here, would I do it? Would you do it? Would you give it up? Well, it reminds me of a story. This is a story that Jesus told about a rich young man that came to him that wanted to know what he had to do to get to heaven. So let's just read this story and let's just see what Jesus says. John chapter 10, verse 17 through 23. This is in a New Living Translation. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, it's interesting here, how Jesus had to set the story straight first. Don't call me good, because truly only God is good, but just want to get that point across. But then he says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Now, I want to stop here for a second because this is where we can so easily get it wrong. Jesus felt genuine love for him. This is where it's easy for us to say, easy for me to say, good job. Looks like you've got life figured out. Awesome. You've kept the Ten Commandments. You've done a great job. Now, and you've got a lot of money. God's blessed you. Now, come join my church and tithe. <laughs> I want you to feel good about yourself. Come on. Uh, join my church and get on my cause and, and you know, bring your wealth with you and, and, and let's just do a good, let's live life together. Good job. Let's live life. We want them to feel good about all the things that they've already done in their life. We want them to feel good about the Ten Commandments, all the don'ts they kept and all those things. Good job. We want to feel good about it. Now bring your stuff to me and let's do life together. But let's go back to what Jesus said in verse 23. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. What does love do? Love tells the truth. 
right? Because Jesus said, there's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. In other words, give all your stuff away. I don't want any of your stuff. Then come join my church. Then come follow me. Then let's do life together when you don't have anything of this worldly value. Why would Jesus say that? It's just so contrary to the American dream. It just doesn't make sense. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? So what do you think Jesus was really saying here? Do you think Jesus was saying that rich people can't get into heaven? That only the poor people are in heaven? I don't think that's what he was saying at all. I don't think he was saying that at all. I don't think that Jesus was really wanting or requiring the man to be poor, to be spiritual. I think all he was really saying was, what's more important to you? Is your money more important to you than me? I think that's what he was trying to get at him, and I think that's what he's trying to ask us as well. What's more important to me? Is it what I have or who Christ is? He was highlighting the priorities of the man's heart. What was the most important thing in his life? The things of this world or the things of eternity? And that is a great question for us to be asking ourselves this morning. What is our priority with, with, with regarding the things that we have? Are we to hold on to those things tightly in our hands because they're the things that I've earned? They're mine. Nobody's going to take them away from me. Or can I open my hands to God and say, God, they're yours. You've given them to me, and I'm going to give them back to you freely. I'm going to give them back to you. And does that mean I have to become poor? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to hold these things lightly in our hands, and if God wants to take them, let him take them. Because what he wants from me more than anything else is relationship anyways. He doesn't need my money to operate the kingdom of heaven. He's not looking for all the things I have that he's already given me to get back. No, he, what he wants is something that he can't take, and that's my relationship. That's what he wants from you and from me. See, the things that we hold in our hands, we can taste them, we can see them, we can feel them, we can measure them, we can hold them. The things that we've accomplished, the things that we can control. But what are the things in Jesus' hands? What are the things that he has to give us? See, Jesus gives us or would want to give us things that we cannot see and that we cannot control. He would give us peace and hope and joy and sacrifice and eternal life. These are the things that are intangible. We want to feel them, but we don't know how to get them. And we can't get them on our own. So we'll struggle. We'll struggle in things. Here's the most important thing that Jesus holds in his hand that you cannot get from anyone else or anything else. And Jesus holds our best interest. He truly wants me to be happy. He truly wants me to be joyful. He truly wants me to have everything of this world, but it's going to come through his measurement of success, not through mine. If their young rich ruler would have given to Jesus, if he would have said, yes, Jesus, take my wealth. Yes, take it all. 
I just can imagine Jesus' smile. I can imagine his face to look at him and say, wow, wow, that's amazing. Good job. Now is where he makes the man feel good. Good job. And you know what? Because you're willing to give it to me all, I'm going to double it back to you. Now, that's not in the Bible, and I'm making that up. But can you see Jesus doing that? I mean, what is eternal life? What are we, what are we giving up here that we're going to gain there that we're going to have it forever? Is it a doubling of what we have here? Or is it a quadrupling? Is it multiplying it over a million times? We can't even begin to imagine what God has in store for us in heaven if we're willing to give up the little bit of stuff we have here. Willingly give it up. He will multiply it over and over and over again and we'll have it forever and ever and ever. Is that not a good trade? Come on. Is that not a good trade? Yes. That's the truth of God's word. But the American dream says, no, hold on to it. Get what you can get. Hold on to it and be selfish with it. Mm. Do you see the lies? We have the same opportunity to hold in our hands, tightly or loosely. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternity life. Jackie, would you come as I start to wind this down? I know this is a difficult thing to do. I understand it. Because I'm gripped with it like you are. I have a retirement account. I know that my money's limited. I know that I don't have resources that, that go beyond what I can see in my mind. I know how much I have in my IRA. I know what's in my bank account. I know that. The point is, I know it's hard. But I'm telling you guys that God is not asking anything too difficult for you and I. He is not asking too hard of a thing for us. So let me give us a little encouragement here how we do this. The first thing I want to do is I want to give you a perspective to practice keeping our eyes focused on God. To practice, hear me, practice day after day after day, keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And how do we do that? Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these things? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them forth each by them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Last night we got home from the fireworks about 11.30, walked onto our driveway over here, and David and Aubrey were with me, and they live in that great metropolitan city of Grand Rapids. Lights, commotion, evil city. No, I'm only kidding. But a lot of lights down there. And here there was dark, and they looked up and said, look at the stars. We don't see these things in Grand Rapids. I, I encourage you to go out on a clear night, turn off all the lights, and just look at the stars. <laughs> and realize who created them. I can remember as a kid, when I was young, and there wasn't a whole lot built up on the Lake Charlevoix down where my mom and dad used to live, and we, I used to sleep down there at night and I mean this was when I was 10 years old so this is you know 50 years ago sitting down there laying down there on a lawn chair next to a campfire looking up and there was at that time it was there was no light pollution down at that point it was dark and looking at the stars and just seeing the stars and watching the you know the satellites go over and seeing the flying or the the uh, meteorites and stuff and just being marveled by the stars 
Do you know the one who made those? Know us your name? He's concerned about you. Angel, he's concerned about you. He had a word for you today. He's concerned about you. He wants you, he wants the best for you. He has your best interest in his mind. He's got, to, he's got your best interest, Margaret. He knows where you're at. Man, when I practice physically looking up and seeing the mighty hand of God in his creation, this helps me. This helps me to, let, to hold the things of this world loosely. Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, says the Lord. Yeah, you don't have to understand everything. Do you, can I just take that pressure off you? You don't have to understand everything. Know that God's ways are higher than your ways and knows that he loves you so much that he has your best interest in mind. And as you continue to place your priorities rightly in him and trusting him for all that he has for you, that he will make your path straight if you keep our priorities placed on him. That's the key. It's all priority. It's all keeping our priorities placed on him. As I have a properly placed priority, I can trust him. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Amen. There is a promise there, folks. There's a promise for those that have the right priorities in heaven that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key. This is your priority. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are your priorities placed properly? Where's your heart? Struggling to hold on to everything we can is not a comfortable place to live. It's stressful. Let me tell you, it's stressful. If you're struggling to hold on to everything that you have, if you're fearful over the future, if you're saying, God, I'm not going to have enough to live, because I have to hold on to it all I can because I don't trust you. That's stressful living, folks. You want joy? Check your priorities. You want true joy in life? Check your priorities. What are you holding on to? What are you willing to give him? What are you willing to let go of? Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. Jesus, I can only imagine as you looked at that young rich man and you said with genuine love in your heart. I mean, you really loved that young man. You wanted him more than what he could give you of his value of earth. You didn't love his possessions. You loved him. And because you lived him, loved him so much, you were willing to go that hard step of telling him the truth about how he could have a relationship with you is not 
about all the things that he did in the past. It's not about all the don'ts that he kept. Even though those are important, I understand that. But it's so much more about the things that we do as we prove to you that we truly are putting our priorities in heaven, heavenly places. So I pray, Father, right now that you would give us that same genuine love, that we would feel it from you, that you're not asking anything difficult of us or anything too difficult. Yes, it's hard, but not too hard, that we can give it back to you freely. So this morning, as you are considering your life, and I pray that you are looking at the things that are valuable to you. If God asked you to give it up, would you give it up? Would you? Would you trust him to give you true blessings? Would you? Would I? I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you this morning. That you would be able to answer yes. It's a choice that we make. It's a deliberate choice that we make, just like Jesus made a deliberate choice to bear his cross. We need to make a deliberate choice to bear our cross and then trust him that he's going to bring blessing upon blessing upon blessing for eternity back to you because he will. That's his promise. Father, I just ask now that you would come to us, that you would give us a a heart of assurance, a heart, Father, that you truly are concerned about us, that you truly have our best interest in mind. And I pray, Father, that we would be able to see that and we'd be able to trust you with everything that we own, everything that we are, our identity, our homes, our finances, our families, our children, the things that we love so dearly here, Father, we just lay them at the cross. We surrender them. We submit ourselves to you. And then we resist the devil. And then he must flee. So, Father, we have our priorities in place. We submit everything. We then stand for righteousness. And then you come and do the work. Because our priorities are placed properly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I need you more. More than yesterday. More than words can say, I need you more than ever before. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. More than the air I breathe, more than a song I sing, more than a next heart more than anything and Lord as time goes by I'll be by your side cause I never want to go back to my old life I need you more more than yesterday
Father, we just need you this morning. Father, we willingly give ourselves to you. It's not just a, when you get us down and put us in a headlock and you make us say that. No, Father, it's really truly about our desire. Our heart truly is to say, I need you. I want to need you. (laughs) That's what gives me joy is needing you. So, Father, I just pray that you would just give us blessing as we go to our homes today. Just continue to encourage us with how much you love us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.